Welcome to the Cattle Call Podcast. Today we're starting a new career call and it's going to be really, really fun. We are going back again to the Midwest to talk with a friend. But before we get started, let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Great. So, Brooke, is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Perfect. So, Brooke, let's go back again to South Dakota today, right? Yep. Yep. We're back in the Midwest. Okay. So, let's go back to the Midwest and, and let me call uh, Roaring. Hello, Dr. Rushi. How are you? I'm doing great, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So, today we are calling Warren Rushi. He is an assistant professor and extension specialist in feedlot management at South Dakota uh, State University. Is that correct, Warren? That is correct. Okay, perfect. So I usually get started with really uh, simple questions that I usually joke that you can't miss those questions. After that, you can answer anything that you want to. Okay. So the first questions are where you're from and what do you do? Well, I am from South Dakota. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm. we're recording this from my home office, which is uh, no more than about eight miles from where I grew up. Uh, I've spent nearly my entire, with the exception of two years in grad school at Kansas State, I've lived in South Dakota my whole life. Uh, right now, as you mentioned on my, on my introduction, I'm the assistant professor, extension feedlot management specialist at South Dakota State University. Uh, I've held that role officially for a month. Uh, prior to that, though, I've been doing the, the extension feedlot role at, at this issue uh, for the last five years. Perfect. That's pretty good. So now we know that you grew up South Dakota. You're from South Dakota. Uh, you lived a little bit in Kansas, but you've been back home for a while now. Uh, can you tell us when and how did you decide to work with cattle? And more specifically, now with feedlot. You, you, you've been working with feedlot recently, but when did, did that start? Well, the cattle part of it is easy. Uh, I have always been a livestock kid, you know, from you know, earliest memory, honestly. You know, the you know, the favorite thing for me to do is look, to look at livestock, look at cattle, um, you know, ride along, checking cows. That was, um, you know, those that was what I, I really loved doing. Uh, high school, 4-H FFA, uh, we, we had a sheep operation also at that time, our family. So that was uh, probably what maybe what I was best known for as a teenager was our, our sheep sheep production, but, you know, the, always had a love for the livestock industry. Uh, you know, the hours I had to spend on a tractor uh, felt like a punishment. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather check cows, walk pens, fix fence. And so it was a, you know, a real, it was a logical career path for me to follow into the livestock industry. Wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do in the 1980s. Um, you haven't, you've been kind enough not to mention the fact that I'm a little older than most new career assistant professors, but I'm a product of the 1980s farm crisis. And and so at that time, it was really a not necessarily the popular thing to do or the, the, the what your high school guidance counselor is going to suggest students do is go into agriculture in 1986 when I graduated high school. Uh, but certainly I'm glad I did. It's opened so many doors uh, in so many places for me and it's been really rewarding. So so you, you've been working uh, in agriculture since since uh, a kid, right? But, and, and you mentioned like I, I didn't mention that because I want you to tell us about your career path. I, I think it's it's very interesting. So you you grew up work with cattle, right? So then you like it, and that's how you decided to go to animal science school in South Dakota. That's so right. I. What happened I, after that? Yeah. 
Well, I, um, as you mentioned, or as I, I interrupted you, I, I got my undergrad degree from South Dakota State University. I, I wanted to be on the judging teams there, and I was. I uh, graduated in 1990 with an animal science degree. And that is the last thing in this whole chapter that I'm going to tell you is actually went according to plan. Everything <laughs> after that were things I said I was never going to do, but ended up doing. <laughs> and the first of those was going to graduate school. I was, you know, I, I was a young, broke college kid. I wanted to go get a job. And I, you know, uh, but the job market wasn't as attractive as I wanted. The things that I could interview for really didn't interest me that much. And I had some of my, my mentors and people I still consider friends and colleagues at SDSU were nudging me to, to encourage me to look into graduate school. And I uh, set up an appointment to visit with Dr. Cora and Dr. Cochran at Kansas State University and just fell in love with the place. Uh, and they let me at that time really explore what was you know, one of my real interest areas. And that was cow-calf production, that intersection between reproduction and nutrition. And so I worked with those two gentlemen, got my master's degree in two years, um, you know, and then still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I did the second thing I said I wasn't going to, and that's go to work in extension. And so I returned back to South Dakota, worked in a small county in the right along the Minnesota border, uh, just north of Brookings. Uh, at that time, we were not specialized. So I was the, you know, the, the, I was the extension agent that handled everything from questions about your cattle to um, uh, crop question to what weed is this in my lawn and everything in between. And, and I'll be forever grateful to the people of Dual County, South Dakota for not taking one look at that green 24-year-old kid they saddled him with and not sending him home because he doesn't know much because I, I really didn't. Uh, I learned an awful lot, grew up an awful lot and, uh, and really enjoyed that work and that experience. Well, then I had the opportunity to do the third thing I said I wasn't going to do or didn't think I was ever going to get to, and that was to go back home. Uh, at that time, our family was... Uh, starting a cut we were into we were custom backgrounding cattle and dad needed some help. And, you know, he was managing a couple thousand head pretty much by himself. Uh, and so the door opened and uh, my wife and I moved back home and moved in on a Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, started cleaning waters and walking pens and uh, setting up feed bunks. And, you know, we brought in a, about a thousand head of calves that fall. And it was kind of a trial by fire and probably, you know, from my, you know, in terms of my professional, it, it was sort of the PhD I got before I started graduate school in terms of, you know, there's you know, that practical experience that's paid off for me when I'm working with producers that, you know, I can talk about things I've done and seen uh, and, and view it from that, you know, the the lens of, uh, of actually working in the business. And we did that for about 13 years. Um, along the way, uh, I'm not going to go into all the details for this podcast, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, working with family is challenging. And uh, we had some, you know, there were some pretty clear that uh, the, our long-term career path uh, you know, probably was going to mean we needed to do something different, that uh, the path we were on wasn't going to work long term. And in 2011, the South Dakota State University Extension announced a, a major reorganization of their extension system, uh, going away from a county-based model to regional centers uh, with field specialists with some more in-depth training, uh, master's de degree required, which worked out perfectly for me because I had that. So I, I threw my hat into the ring, applied for one of those positions, and uh, started that as a cow-calf field specialist in Watertown, South Dakota in 2011. Did that for five years 
And the history of the feedlot extension position in South Dakota State University reads like a who's who of the cattle feeding business. I mean, going all the way back to Dr. Danny Fox, Dr. Gary Cool, Dr. Brad Johnson, uh, Dr. Ben Holland, Dr. Eric Lowe. I mean, there's a long list of Dr. John Wagner, long list of very successful people that didn't stay in South Dakota very long necessarily. And we'd we'd had someone and that person left after about a year. And uh, one of the industry stakeholders and I were visiting and uh, sort of made the comment like, well, do you, you know, do you think you would need to have a PhD to do to work in extension and feedlot? And I said, I don't know, probably not. And so that conversation turned into another conversation with the dean of our college that asked me if I was interested in doing a PhD. And my first response was, well, no, I'm too old. I was 47 at the time and talked it over with my wife. She thought I ought to do it. I said, you have no idea what that means. That's why you say yes. But President Dunn, uh, president of our university, was very persuasive, uh, convinced me to uh, follow that. And five, it ended up taking about a year for all of the all of the pieces to fall in place, but I started my graduate program uh, about five years ago and successfully de- defended in April. Applied for and uh, was awarded the position assistant professor shortly thereafter. And so here I am, a uh, bit of a long winding road, and and almost every one of those steps were things I didn't think I was going to do. Uh, but you know, it life is funny. You end up in spots you don't think to, but uh, it's been you know an, really an incredible run. I've gotten to do and meet some amazing people, you know, including you, Pedro. And uh, you know, so it's been it's I, I I can't wait to see what's next. Uh, that that's that's amazing. I mean, I I usually. Like I'm listening, I'm taking notes and everything, and it's it's really fun. You you your path is is incredible, and I think we could record a podcast about each one of those paths, especially the challenge of working back home with family and all of those things. I'm sure you have a, a lot to teach us about. Yeah, it. that one. You know, there's there will come a time when we're going to you know go into more depth with at some point on you know, lessons learned of working with family uh, and, and mistakes made. And you know, and it's yeah, like I said, I'm not going to go into all the, any details, but it was a uh, leaving was the easiest and hardest thing I ever had to do at the same time uh, because it really came down to I didn't I, I kind of lost my identity for a little bit. I'd always I'd viewed myself as a, I'm in Eastern South Dakota, so we don't call ourselves ranchers here. That's what the West River folks say. But, you know, I was managing 300 cows and uh, at various times was looking after another 1,500 head of feeder cattle. And, you know, and, and I, for a little bit, I lost that. I didn't quite know who, who am I now? I don't have, I can't necessarily wear my uh, producer cap anymore, but, you know, there were, we made agriculture is a funny thing. You know, a person will do almost anything to chase that dream. And I overlooked some things that in hindsight were red, were red flags that, you know, I should have asked better questions earlier. And, um, you know, I probably made, I not probably, I did make some decisions that um, in hindsight were, were less than wise, probably, you know, not probably did. Um, <laughs> from a you know relationships in our family with my wife my kids uh you know that I, w- I was hard on them uh on because of you know we had some significant financial strains there a few years for a few years and and it was tough on the family uh so there were a lot of lessons learned and somewhere down the line i'll uh you know go into a lot more depth but uh that'll have to wait for another day okay no okay that's good so what but one thing that i, I really want you to talk a little bit more in depth is just you decided to go back to school with 47 years old, wife, kids, and a job. How how was that and how challenging was that? I mean, there, there are a couple of grad students who are listening to us and and 
we struggle. I struggle when I was in grad school and I, I, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. How, how was managing that? Well, first off, um, anyone that's met my wife, it's pretty widely understood and realized that I uh, married well out of my league. Um, She's incredibly understanding and everything I've done, you know, she's been really supportive of. And, you know, so those, those things we sometimes have to do, whether in graduate school or in extension for that matter, where, you know, it's not always as conducive for, you know, not always home when you want to be and uh, have, you know, things that have to be done outside of normal hours, whatever that is, you know, she was completely supportive of. So I had that advantage. I I also had some advantages in that the university, you know, we all were on the same page that, you know, I wasn't going to be the next great basic benchtop scientist. That wasn't what my interests were. That wasn't what the, you know, South Dakota State University had in mind for me to be. And so there were some, you know, I don't ask me to go pipette things. I, I've told the rest of the researchers, I won't go into your lab without permission. I promise. Uh, so, you know, there, so there were some things that, uh, you know, I might, that a more traditional graduate student might have had to do that I didn't. Uh, the other part of that, though, is I think, too, you know, one, we were doing it on a slower pace. Uh, I was taking six credits per semester, you know, and so, you know, that's why it took five years instead of three. The other part of it is, as I'm, you know, helping now in my new role, mentor some newer graduate students. Uh, you know, the fact that you're, you know, that I was a little more mature paid off. I think, you know, there's some, you know, life lessons that a person picks up in your 20s and 30s that, um, you know, eventually do pay off in your 40s, and so that helped. Um, but yeah, it was, it was. It was not necessarily an easy thing. Um, in some ways, COVID was a blessing in disguise because it forced me to simply didn't have an alternative. We weren't traveling. I didn't have extension meetings all over. I wasn't going a lot of places. So it did give me the freedom to focus on getting things written. And so I wrote basically all of the dissertation during COVID. Now, and I know in South Dakota, we weren't, I don't think we were as restricted as, you know, you were in California and other places, but we, you know, we didn't, most of those big events had gotten canceled. You know, our travel, we just didn't do as much. So, and it had the freedom to work from home. So from that standpoint, I was able to focus uh, when under more normal circumstances might've been harder, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it just anybody to say, yeah, you know, let's, uh, yeah, you got a family and kids and a full-time job and go to grad school. Yeah, sure. It'd be fun. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I would, I would say they, they want to think about it really hard, you know, think about it really carefully, but you know, it can be done. Um, I also, by the way, and I know you guys have, you have uh, just interviewed or Dr. Smith was on this, uh, you know, he was the other part of it we haven't talked about that uh, him arriving at South Dakota State University really kind of was that final piece of the puzzle I needed. You know, he's, uh, you know, anybody that spent any time talking to him, I mean, if you're not enthused about ruminant nutrition and feedlot production <laughs> after visiting with him, you know, I can't help you anymore. Uh, he's, yeah, he is a, uh, bundle of energy uh, our play our lab group is you know really dynamic and uh, he um, brought me in as kind of a you know, semi almost co-equal partner right away and uh, gave me some freedom to get some stuff done and uh, it's it's turned into a really great partnership and friendship and i i don't know if i'd have been as successful without him on board um, as a as a mentor and a, and i help in competing that program i also have to mention i've got a great department head dr cassidy uh, he's he was my co-advisor that um, you know always gives real good advice he's um, you know one of those folks that you know you're if you're looking for the you know the 
pat on the back, uh, you know, oh, everything's going to be just fine. He's not your, he's, he's not the warm, fuzzy guy, but he's going to tell you what you need to know. And he's there to provide whatever support and resources you need to accomplish the objective. He's been a great mentor. And uh, those two gentlemen played a huge role in me getting where I'm at now. Okay. That's, that's pretty good, Warren. I, I, I knowing Zach, I mean, we, we recorded something with him last, last month and it was amazing. And I mean, your story is pretty good. I mean, your, the way that you conduct everything is, is pretty amazing. And can you tell us also a little bit more about your job today? And I'm sure like all of your, all of this background that you've been building over the years helped you in your current job. Can you just starting a job uh, with a lot of experience, but can you tell us about what you do as a feedlot specialist in South sure. Dakota on a daily basis? And are you facing any new challenge right now that you were not facing before as an extension now as an assistant professor, things that you were not expecting? I know you just started, but is there anything that you're facing right now? Well, some of the some of the changes, at least from a new role standpoint, have to do with you know just the difference in expect expectations from the twelve month uh, non faculty exempt appointment to the faculty appointment. You know, I I need to get right now today. I need to get my Hatch Act proposal in so I can get the money they've promised me. Uh, you know, some of those kinds of things. Um, this position has a twenty percent research appointment, which I didn't have before. So you know, I'm working a little more closely. Um, got where Dr. Smith and I. Are co-advising one student. I'll probably be on three or four of the committees and maybe all of them by the time it's all said and done. I'm also co-teaching the feedlot management class. I'm taking the lab portion. And, and that's been probably the, in terms of a day-to-day challenge right now, that's probably the biggest one because I'm starting that up every week. And my wife had spent about 22 years as a high school teacher and I have a completely new new appreciation for everything she did uh, you know, being ready for class every week I only have to do this for one class that repeats and uh, she was doing it five or six so yeah, that's that's been a, a bit of a challenge from a production standpoint you know why you know this from extension you deal with the problem you know the, the issues as they come right now in South Dakota we're dealing with drought conditions so been spending a lot of time talking with folks about utilizing corn silage um, how do we deal with nitrates and feeds. Uh, we're so diverse in terms of our feeding feeding business here in the state. We've got everywhere from you know cattle backgrounders to finishers, and um, you know, and I still get called in on some cow calf things only be, if no other reason because our our state, you know, so many of our cattle feeders also have a cow herd, and and so from that standpoint, that's one of the things of the job I love is that it's never boring, it's never the same. Uh, you know, you, you get and in our state, we've got some really what I would I think we. We've got some of the most astute cattlemen and cattlewomen in the country, and they're uh, pretty serious about their business, and they'll uh, challenge you with some really good questions. And so that's what that's what uh, you know, inspires me and keeps me going from a day to day basis on the job. That's that's pretty cool. And yeah, how and how how do you interact with producers? Do producers usually call we call you? You go to their farms. Uh, is there anything that you do, you do that you think that you do differently? And you could leave as as kind of an advice for young professionals who are doing like like me. <laughs> That's why I'm asking this question. Sure, you know, I probably the thing that's got me as much notice as anything else is uh, in our case, in my case, it was things that I've written that have gone on our website. Um, yeah, and I think you're well on your way with this podcast. You know, it's a diff, it's a it's a different medium, and you know, it's probably it's. 
I, I haven't, I haven't started utilizing that yet. And maybe it's just because differences in personality or, or preferences, but you, know, you got to find some way and some mechanism to get your name out there. And, uh, you know, so people know you, you know, that, or my, one of the first things I did when I came back to extension 10 years ago is, um, I went to that spring. I went to, I think I averaged going to a bull sale a week just so I could meet people. And in some of them I knew, um, you know, I've, as we talked about earlier, I've worked, I've lived here most of my life. Our, our state is small, 880 some thousand people. There's 15,000 beef producers. And at some point I've, you know, I've either went to 4-H or FFA or college or done business with an awful lot of those people, but not everyone knew what I was doing. And there were people like, you know, even in a small state, you don't know everyone. So I think one of the things that person, you know, and you're starting out extension is, you know, those, those stakeholders and those key folks have to know who you are, whether that's a, you know, some, and I try to strike the balance between the the technology side, whether that's you know, articles on the website or podcasts or whatever, with the one-on-one, you know, human touch things, uh, because at least in our state, you know, that you know, we're. I would describe us as, you know, still pretty small town, rural America, where, you know, folks like to, you know, know who you are. And some of that too, then also is, you know, you know, one of the things I've tried to do is uh, as best I can. And I don't know, sometimes I stumble and don't make, you know, and, and fail to live up to my expectations, but I try to, uh, you know, provide as good information I can. Uh, when I'm not certain, I tell them I'm not certain, uh, but I'll tell them about here's some pros, here's some cons, here's some things to think about. And then the decisions left in their hands. But my hope is I've provided some value and some additional information. So they've got some a little different, a bit of additional confidence in what they're going to do. Uh, you know, beyond that, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you, you the other part is, you know, you, you, this is not a, an eight to five Monday through Friday job, you know, and, and, and it, at times you, you know, you have to be able to step away and, uh, you know, I, I've told people, or, you know, there's a couple, you know, there's a young producer that calls me probably twice a week. And, and he, first he apologized about, oh, I'm calling you, you know, and said, no, you know, this is my job said, but if I don't, if I'm busy and I don't want to talk or I can't talk, I won't answer the phone. I'll just say, leave me a message and we'll talk later. But, you know, I, I want to try to establish that reputation as someone that, you know, because there are times when it's really time sensitive and, uh, you know, there's some investment on the line and they're looking to us as a resource. I, I don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that these producers have options and I'm just one of them. And so I need to be in order for us to, for me to stay relevant, I need to be one of those options they can trust uh, to get them information they need when they need it. And that it's uh, got some value to it. That's, that's a really, really nice, really nice to hear that. And, and following along with that, that's probably one of the, the last questions before we can ask our, our final quiz here. I, you you were talking, I was just thinking here, how lucky are the students who are going to your guys' lab now to have you and Zach as a mentors and working the feedlot on a daily basis? And you, I assume you've you've had many mentors during your, your career, and you've mentioned even Zach, who is probably like a different perspective, coming a young guy and being how how important and, and I always like to ask those questions and, and and I always like to ask that so people can try to seek for mentors as well. How important were your mentors during your career? And how do you think we, we should be looking for mentors? Like a person who is, is listening to us. 
Oh man. Um, you know, those people that, you know, I, I mentioned one of them, Dr. Larry Cora, you know, he and I still talk on, you know, you know on occasion, probably not as often as I ought to, but you know, that man, uh, it, I can, I can pinpoint the, the wanting to go back into livestock extension because of working with him in grad school, you know, from there, um, you know, the other, probably the next best life extension specialist I ever worked with is, uh, Leon Reggie. He was the Mr. Weeds in South Dakota for, for ages, uh, absolute professional, um, you know, probably the most respected man I've ever met in terms of how farmers viewed the advice from him. You know, and so those are a couple examples of people I wanted to emulate. I, I really think, you, you know, you have to try to find those folks that, uh, you know, are where you want to be and figure out how they got there. Um, and in some cases you're going to find out some of your heroes aren't necessarily as heroic. Uh, and that's part of, you know, that's part of learning and part of growing up. Uh, uh, I, I'm trying to be that for some of these grad students, you know, now coming up, um, you, you mentioned that they're lucky to work with us. Quite honestly, Zach and I look at ourselves and we look at the, the seven people we have working for us and we go, how did we get these good kids? I don't know how we did it, to be honest, but they are a great group. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some names that, you know, in 10 years from now, there are going to be some people that names people are going to recognize because they're going to do some amazing things. You know, and I think, uh, you know, good people attract good people. And, you know, there's some saying somewhere that, um, you know, the books you read and the people you hang out with are going to explain most of uh, your success or failures. And so I've tried to, uh, tried to be around those people that uh, will help me get me farther along the road. And I hope that I'm that, you know, that kind of person for some of these folks that I'm working with today. Awesome. I am sure, I'm sure you are. That That's, that's really, really good. So Warren, just to start and finish up now, I'm going to ask three quick questions uh, just to know more about you, about yourself. We've talked about your professional career and those are just, uh, Three quick questions to, to know about Warren's as a person. And the first one uh, is, what is your favorite food? <laughs> Man, if you looked at me, you'd say, what isn't his favorite food? Uh, <laughs> gosh, you know, a good burger is hard to beat. Uh, chili. Uh, I like Mexican food. Um, I'll do some really sketchy things for apple pie. Wow. Yeah, I would tell you, Mexican food is, is the winner in our podcast. Probably every single podcast, somebody mentioned Mexican food or or I'm glad that everybody also mentioned a burger or steak as well. So that's kind of have, have to. It sort of goes with the territory. We almost have yeah. to, right? We have to support the industry. That's <laughs> that's a good thing. So what is what is the type of song that usually plays in your radio or, or at home? Do you like to listen music? And if yes, what is the type of song that you like to listen? Yeah, I end up uh, you know, on my you know commuting back and forth. I I listen to the listen to satellite radio, and it's usually some combination of sometimes it's the news, but if I want to just listen to music, um, you know the the Bruce Springsteen channel, uh, some of the country station or you know the highway, some of those other newer country. Uh, if I'm popping a CD in, uh, it's going to be things like Ashley McBride, Eric Church, Zach Brown Band. Um, you know those are. Yeah, you know, maybe some, you know, I could throw a lot of other things in there. I got kind of an eclectic mix of things I like, but, uh, you know, I, I don't like to put them necessarily labels. Good music is good music. Great. 
Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Now it's it's more like a philosophical question, uh, and and you probably have a lot to say about this one. Is looking back in time, what is something that you know today that you wish you knew when you're finishing school? Oh boy, huh. what what do I wish I knew now? Knew then that I don't now. Uh you know, probably I think all of us at some point we've got a little bit, you know, you know, either confidence or call it the imposter syndrome. You know, I if I could go back and talk to my, you know, 21-year-old self, I would have been, you know, you you don't need to, you know, don't worry about trying to follow the cool kids. You're gonna be fine. Uh, you know, have a little bit extra con little you can have a little more confidence in your abilities than uh, you're giving yourself credit for. Uh, but make sure to stay just a bit humble too. That uh, there are, you know, that I would tell that I would tell the 21 year old Warren said you're gonna do some great things, but there's gonna be some days that are gonna be a little tougher too. So get ready for them. Find good people and hang on to them. Awesome. Great, great. That's that's good. Good to hear. All right, I think those were all really, really, really good questions. Really good answers. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you very much. Now we, we usually finish with what we call the kettle call top tip. Uh, is uh, I want to ask you that if you could share with us. Uh, we've had people sharing podcasts, books, even like research papers. Is there something that you would like to share as a uh, the kettle call top tip to our listeners? It can be, like I said, it can be a paper that you like, it can be a book that you recommend, and doesn't need to be related to kettle. Anything that you that you've read or listened that you like to, even even like I think documentary, there there were people who recommend some. So, is there anything that you would like to to share with us? You know the the one that's popping into my head, and this is not. It is not uh, related to livestock or, or science. It's just been a book that you know really kind of shaped. I'll give you two of them. Shaped kind of how I view a lot of different things. Uh, but the one is uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Uh, that to me is one of those must read kind of things. And come to think of it, I need to go tell all those grad students so they need to go read that. Um, you know, another book. You know, this is more from a especially when I was on our, on our operation, thinking about investments and buying bulls and so forth. Uh, the book Moneyball, uh, it's a great read, uh, but it tells a story of how people were looking at the wrong things when they, uh, when they were evaluating baseball players. And I think we can apply some of those lessons to a lot of different things in different areas. So those are two, two books on my shelf that uh, I come back to every now and then to uh, go back through because they've, they made an impact on how I think, how I view the world. Great, great. I, I've read Good to Great and it's an awesome book, but the Moneyball is the name of the second one? Moneyball. Yeah. Okay. They made it into a movie, but read the book. It's The book is better. Okay. I will make sure to put that in the description of, of our episodes. Uh, last but not least, Warren, how can we follow your work? I forgot. I actually forgot to ask that to Zach, but do you guys have a website or something? I know that you guys also organize a beef uh, short course. Uh, I'm not sure if that's yearly, but how can we follow your work? Do you guys have social media or blog that you would like to share with our listeners? The, the, I mentioned some of the articles we write for our website. That's extension.sdstate.edu. You know, so that's, um, that, 
they'll give me a challenge to get some additional new material put up there. Uh, but the other things that we do, we, we publish an annual beef report. So all of our uh, feedlot research that we do is written up in those for that report. And that usually comes out in uh, January, February, every year. Um, you know, those are probably the two areas that you could, you know, access our information uh, the most readily. Um, I- I'm a little old fashioned, you know, if someone wants to call or email me and have some specific questions, we absolutely will, would welcome that. Uh, and, and down the road, we're going to be offering more uh, distance kind of education opportunities, uh, we did the a feedlot short course. We've oh, we have done a feedlot short course, uh, you know, here in the last few years every year. In 2020, because of COVID, we did that virtually and ended up having 275 participants from 25 country, 25 states, and five countries. I need to figure out how to incorporate that kind of uh, technology and more often uh, because that kind of reach is you know just it's really hard to do. Um, you know, with the one-on-one approach. So back to that balancing technology and, and face-to-face things, I need to figure out how to harness that, but it certainly was a, was a powerful tool and surprising to us, frankly, did not expect to have that much interest. That's really nice. Yeah. I watched some of the, the presentation, not all, but I remember you sent me that. That was really, really good presentations. Uh, that's good. Warren. I, I, we will make sure to put all of those uh, information in the description of this episode and also in our newsletter, uh, the, the reports that you guys put on yearly basis and also the website. I think that's all we have. I would like to thank you very much for joining our call, for t- telling us more about you, your work. Uh, we are looking forward to have you again next week to talk with your projects, some projects that you are doing. Uh, I I don't have, do you have any other questions, Brooke? Nope, nothing from me. Okay. Do you have any final message, Warren? No, I think uh, you know we've covered a lot of ground. I just really appreciate the chance to visit with you and uh, to uh, chat with your list with your listeners. Oh, awesome! Thank you very much. Uh, time flies when the conversation is good, and and this time has passed really, really quick. I appreciate your being here today, and don't forget, it's always a good time for a cattle call. Thank you. A cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call.